Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Gabby Rosen Podcast. Hello and welcome to That Gabby Rosen Podcast, part of the Acast Creator Network. The very lovely Joanne Froggart, or as her co-stars on Downton like to call her, Joe Fro is my guest on this week's episode. Of course, we talk all about Downton Abbey, the TV show and the movies. The sequel comes out in March 22 and she gives us a few clues about what will be in the highly anticipated second film. She shares the funniest story about when Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, visited the Downton set. The cast all giggling while filming and how close they all are to each other. We chat about her leaving home at 13, starring in Coronation Street as a teenager, her phenomenal TV show Liar and the brilliant Angela Black, which is available now on the ITV Hub. She tells me about her Golden Globe win and about how she likes to push the narrative for women. But we start with another of her TV shows, Bob the Builder. Please can I ask you a favour? Would you mind following and subscribing, please? By clicking the follow or subscribe button. This is completely and utterly free, by the way. And you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. Simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes. I know there have been quite a few now. And you'll see the stars where you can tap and rate and also please write a review. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, I'm uh, Wendy in all the sort the new version. Oh, yeah. See, I because I it's very funny because doing all my uh, research on you because you're just such a lovely being, you really are. And I was doing all my research and I saw that in America and and everywhere it says at the top Golden Globe winner and then your name (laughs) and all the interviews every time you go in. And I thought, no, I'm going to start with Bob the Builder. Keeping it real. Keeping absolutely. it real. When I said to, um, to my kids uh, that I was speaking to you today, they said, oh, oh. Well, obviously, they talked about Downton. Uh, my eldest daughter yeah. talked about Liar, which we were obsessed with. I showed oh, her the, the, the sneaky, um, we got a sneaky link for Angela Black. It's like Hitchcock. I mean, it's it, it's so gripping. And both of my kids who uh, uh, want to be actors um, said she has the perfect CV. (laughs) Oh, that is so sweet. That's so lovely to hear. Well, what a lovely, what a lovely compliment. And, um, you know, 
I don't, uh, how old are your how old are your kids, Gabby? Twenty and fourteen, and they both want to be in oh, the industry. So they're, they're still at that age where they tell the truth. I hope. Oh, completely! <laughs> oh no, we are we are a house of uh, super fans, and I was trying to work out what your super fans would be called. Would they be called f- froggies or something? Um, I don't know. I mean, my nickname, my work nickname, um. Is Joe Fro? It always seems to go from one job to another. It started on Downton, so um, I don't know. I mean, with Brendan from Downton that plays Mr. Bates, we call his fan uh, his fan club the Mr. Baiters. Oh yes. <laughs> so, so you know, but I can't think of anything quite as uh, quite as apt for me. But yeah, his uh, his fans are often women. So yeah, the Mr. Bateses. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what my mate, but yeah, fro- the, I don't know, fro- Froggies, that's quite a cute one. Okay, well, we'll be Joe Froze or Froggies, but you know what, you with you telling me about the Mr. Baters, um, it, it obviously leads to every double entendre that I've seen. You love a double entendre because there's that fantastic story of you and uh, and the Duchess and Kate Middleton. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yes, that was one of my uh, one of my better foot in my mouth moments, oh, of I which love there have it. been many. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Kate uh, Middleton came for a set visit onto the Downton set quite a few years ago, and um, me and Michelle Dockery were filming a scene. Uh, we were doing a Lady Mary's bedroom scene, and everybody else was sort of brought in um, to meet and greet, and we were carrying on with the filming day. So. When um, obviously, it's, you know, there's a lot of security that comes in days before and police and sniffer dogs and, you know, everything to make sure everything's safe and sound. And um, so it's a real process, you know, before you actually get the visit. And then there's this guy that kind of came, came comes in as we're filming going, right, she'll be here in 30 seconds, 30 seconds. So you're like, mm-hmm. oh, OK, right. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 seconds. You're like, OK, right. 10 seconds. Like, OK, fine. So me and Michelle are doing the scene. Um and Kate Middleton walks in while we're doing it, sort of watches. And at the end, we come over and, you know, say hello. And and she says, oh, it feels ever so strange to be in your bedroom. And I was like, yes, not many people get to come in Lady Mary's bedroom. <laughs> and then I just stopped what I said. And I was just literally, my mouth, I think I could see a twinkle in her eye because I didn't realise what I said until it was out of my mouth. And then my jaw just dropped open and I just thought, Joe, stop talking. Just stop. Don't start saying, I didn't Love mean it. that. Just stop. I so yeah, it. that was one of my that was one of my greatest uh, <laughs> one of my good foot in the mouth moments. Oh, you see, those are those moments that you also you'll never forget that. Not, even if it hadn't been hurt, you know, you never forget those moments because I I I think a double entendre when you're really not expecting it to to appear, just the funniest thing. I imagine that you're an you're an unbelievable giggler on set as well. I am a little bit, yes, I'm a little bit. I mean, I'm very, you know, we're all very professional. And, of course, you know, oh, like, of course, of Like, course. you know, we get our job, oh, yes, you know, get yes. the job done. But of course, there's days, you know, where you're a little bit bored or there's, you know, you haven't got much to do or there's days where you just get incredibly tired, you know, because you're sort of filming long hours and, and you often get a lot of, you know, very charismatic people on set. So there's often a lot of um, real comedians. And, and yeah, once I... Um, once I start, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to stop with the giggles, yes. But it's a it's a nice release when it happens. Well, so the the time that we met, you were with there was you, Dan, and Alan, and you they were winding you up, and you were laughing so much. You probably have no recollection of this, but you were laughing so much, and I was just standing. And I thought, 
oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do this interview. And they were, <laughs> they were teasing you and winding you up that we all ended up in fits of hysterics. And then I went on and interviewed them both again separately. And they said, they, they said that all they remember, uh, you know, some of their happiest times at Downton were, were just the fun that you guys all had and the laughter. I mean, on Downton, we do, we did, and we do, you know, have the most ridiculous fun. I mean, we really do, and we've just gone back to do the um, the second Downton movie, which comes out in March, That's and um, it was it was just such a it was such a joy to be on set with those people because we've all worked together for you know twelve years on and off, and we know each other so well, and like you say, we've got a lot of like very charismatic personalities in that show, and. I mean, I laughed till I cried many, many days on the shoot for the for the movie, the second movie. Yeah, it was, was it, lovely it was lovely being all together again. It was. It's you know, it really is like a a reunion, and um, you know, I always think it's um, I liken it to going back to school after the summer holidays or something. You know, it's sort of really nice to catch up, and you really quickly fall into fall into those you know tight relationships again. So yeah, it's it's a real it's a real pleasure. Everybody's so excited about that film. And they, you know, it is, it is amazing how, you know, there are some shows that go down in television history. Um, and, and, and Downton is there probably, in, I would say, in the top 10 most popular, most talked about, most loved shows in television history. I don't think I'm exaggerating that at all. No, I guess, I guess it is. I, I guess it would be. And, um, you know, it's, it's an incredible thing to, to have been a part of that and to always be, you know, affiliated with that. And I think Downton came at the right time. We'd had a lot of, um, you know, reality TV had really sort of made its mark in the years previous to Downton um, being on air. And, you know, the lots of the TV channels weren't spending as much on drama um, because this sort of reality TV was cheaper to make and it got great viewing figures and it was it was sort of the fashion at the time. So um, when ITV did invest, you know, that that money and time into Downton, I think it was a little, it sort of felt like, I'm sure it felt like a little bit of a risk for them at the time, but it absolutely paid off. And it was, it was part of, um, it was part of the start of a sort of new age of, of drama on, on television and, and really getting, getting back to, you know, um, putting that out there for, for viewers to see again. So it was, um, it was an amazing experience you know something I'll always be forever grateful for I love I love when you talk about it your I, I mean I can sort of I know I can't see you but I can almost feel your eyes um twinkling and this sort of big smile on your face because you can tell that everybody was a part of it and you, you knew how huge it was but it wasn't you didn't see it like that you saw it as just something that you all loved being a part of yeah exactly and you know I do always have a smile on my face when I talk about it because I I just have so many fond memories of of working on that show and with with that group of people our cast and crew because a lot of our crew um for the series were with us from the first day of uh, series one through to the final day of series six so we really were a great team you know and um and it was it was a slow burn the success of Downton so well, it wasn't a slow burn, I guess it was a quick burn, but it was a sort of snowball effect. Like at first we thought, oh yeah, we've got a really great show. We hope people like it. And then people did in the UK and then um, it was going to be aired in the US. And we thought, oh, that's that's great that we're going to, you know, be 
uh, have a sort of um, a platform out there and it'd be nice if people saw it. Um, and then obviously it, it sort of hit big in the US, which was the snowball effect for it sort of selling to other, you know, all territories pretty much across the world. So, but when, but whenever we got back on set to do, you know, the next series, we, all of that just went away. You know, we, we did, we didn't think about any of that. We, we were only aware of it really when we were doing the press tours and, and the press for the, the new series coming out. But when we were actually filming, we were all just back to work and enjoying, you know, creating the show. So it was lovely. We had a great, you know, we were lucky that we had such a, a group of down to earth, brilliant actors and such a brilliant, talented crew, I guess. It's very funny because now, it, it, years ago, if you ever went to the States, people, I, I mean, if one went to the States and you're from, from the UK, they'd always say, oh, hi, do you know the royal family? And now it's sort of, oh, hi, do you know Downton Abbey? Do you know the people? Yes. It's, it's as important <laughs> to them as the royal family, which is really quite wonderful. Um, uh, let, can we, are we going to talk about Angela Black because people are going to, yes. I th- people are going to love it as much as they did Liar and Liar I I I became I was obsessed with, so obsessed with Downton. I oh, said that to your face. You. So Downton was my bubble bath. Liar was my seat of the. Pa- I just, oh my god, that was so good. And Angela Black is going to do the same thing again. It's going to be the show that everybody talks about. That must be quite that. Mu- you must know that as an actor, you must know it after because you've been in so many successes, and. Obviously, Sherwood and Dark Angel and and all of the things that that you're going to do and that you do, you must know that these are all going to hit, hit a nerve and people are going to take them to their heart. Um, I mean, you never a hundred percent know because obviously it depends so much on timing and you know and publicity and that everyone knows about the show and all all that stuff. But you know, I really I'm so excited about Angela Black. Um, I'm not it's surprised. Just, as you said, it's a real. It's a real Hitchcockian kind of um, pace of a thriller. And, you know, Liar was a thriller based around um, sexual assault. And Angela Black is a thriller based around domestic abuse, the subject of domestic abuse. And obviously it's written by the same writing team, Harry and Jack Williams, and I'm the lead in both. But but both shows are incredibly different. And they they wrote such a different character. The pace of it is incredibly different. But I think the difference is... Um, and Jack and Harry are just, you know, the top of their game with writing thrillers for TV. They just, they just come with these stories. And I, I say to them, I'm like, how do you think this up? Like, it's incredible. And they also have, you know, they write really brilliantly for women. Um, lots of their shows, you know, certainly the ones I've been involved in, you know, they are this incredible sort of edge of your seat story thriller, but also have that underlying, um, message or issue uh, running through which they seem to be incredibly timely about as well um so it just adds like it, it adds an extra layer for me as an actor to sort of um makes it sort of easier to make a three-dimensional uh, three-dimensional character because um they just sort of write this this background so well there's always it's always based in a situation but um i think the difference with liar and angela black is in 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 terms of how the story unfolds and the structure of it is liar there's this bigger big thing that happens at the beginning and it's this big catalyst for the unraveling whereas with angela black we meet her and it's sort of like it's a it's a slow it's a slower unraveling so it's sort of 
one thing happens, then she becomes suspicious about her husband and then something else happens. Then she meets another character who is a um, a private detective and tells her other things about her husband that she was unaware of. And it's sort of a, it's it's not just one big thing that happens, it's, it's numerous things. So it's a really... Um, really satisfying unraveling of the story. Do you, so where do they, you, you said when you speak to them and say, where do you get this from? What, what's their answer? Because they are, they are brilliant writers. You are a, you are, you're a brilliant actress, so don't put yourself down and say it's all about the writing. But the team together, obviously you. you create magic. But, but where do they get these stories from? I mean, their stories are so beautifully crafted. I mean, there's so much... Uh, um, they they always this is a funny thing to say but I, I think you know what I mean they they always give you the satisfying conclusion that some dramas you think oh no no why did it end like that that wasn't I don't feel satiated I don't feel satisfied but they give oh I said yeah double entendre they give good satisfaction they do <laughs> They know how to satisfy. You said that they'll be very pleased. They'll be very pleased. But that's but like you say, it is the most unsatisfying thing, isn't it? When you really enjoy a show and you get to the end and you go, "Oh, they hadn't really worked that out," or it was a very unsatisfying conclusion because you just go, "Oh, I've really invested in this. I really wanted my, you know, my conclusion," and and it's it's always a, a disappointment. So Jack and Harry, you know, never never do that to an audience. They've always. They've always got a, you know, a good ending worked out. And um, I've asked them many times where they get, you know, the ideas from. And the thing with Jack and Harry is when you meet them in real life, they are the most um, witty pair. And because they are brothers as well, they just banter so much between each other. So for two people that write all this sort of very dark, um, in-depth, deep content, they couldn't be more different in real life. So I've never actually managed to get a straight answer out of them. They just sort of say, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, it just kind of, uh, it just comes to us in a dream or whatever. So it's a different answer every time. So I've never quite got to the bottom of it. But they're very good at it. Yeah, they should just carry on doing it. Um, so I want to go back to the beginning of your career. Um, you know, you've been such huge shows, but Coronation Street, being a, a teenage mum in Coronation Street, when you were... Well, you, you were a teenager yourself, weren't you? Were you 18? I was 16. 16? I was 16. Wow. Yeah. 16, I, 16 when I started. I was 18 when I left. I did it for about 18 months on and off. Yeah. Because you also, you, I mean, you left home to go to, to drama school when you were 13. So, and then three years later, you're in the biggest show on television. Did, did it yeah. also, was it slightly pinch me or did you just go, this is a job? Oh, no, it was very much pinch me. I was... Um, yeah, I'd I'd done one episode of The Bill before that, and that was the only job I'd done, professional job. Um, and so when I sort of landed the role on Coronation Street, originally it was supposed to be for three episodes, and um, it lasted eighteen months on and off. So it was kind of good because I was so um, nervous and shy about doing it, and obviously at the age of sixteen, you kind of go into, you know, walk into the building at that was then Granada and there's all the pictures of the great icons of Corrie up on the walls and stuff and it does feel you know I did just feel incredibly overwhelmed like this is strange (laughs) um but yeah I think if they'd have told me from the beginning that I was going to be doing 18 months and that my storylines were going to be as dramatic as they were I'd have been too scared to take it on board but they were actually really really great with me um 
we were in a time, you know, before social media and all that stuff. So I didn't have anywhere near the pressure that, that people have now on kind of doing interviews and people being interested in my personal life. And, you know, they've, they really kept me very protected and um, good, good. they gave me sort of small storylines and then I'd go away for a bit, then I'd come back and they'd give me a bit more to do. And I don't know whether it was um, planned that way or not, or whether it just happened to work out that way, but I did feel really nurtured there and I learned so much. And um, it was a great exp- it was a great experience for me at the time. And I worked with really great actors and they, they really taught me the technicalities of, of being in front of a camera and um, doing your homework because there's no rehearsal time. You, you have to do your homework you rehearse with each other you take it on you know on on your own account to to rehearse with each other and um it was yeah I learned a great work ethic as well so it was a great experience you're right saying you know that was I mean it's not that long ago but but uh, no social media and the and no press intrusion I mean how you cope with the press intrusion I mean th- I, I, I hate it. I personally hate when I, when I do all my research on everybody because I, for this podcast, we only speak to people that we really like and we want to have on the podcast. And the, um, oh, thank you. I know it's completely true. So I, it means I have to immerse myself in, in that person when I'm doing all my research. And I just, I couldn't, I'll tell you what I couldn't bear. I mean, I, we don't talk about your private life on this. This is, I'm not interested. It's your private, that's the thing, private life. So I'm not even going to talk about Thank that. Thank you, Gabby. But what I can't get over is the thing about your age. The amount of people that go on, well, oh, how do you feel about turning 40? How do you, oh, it's, it, it was sort of like there everywhere. And I thought, shut up. And then your answers, I cheered. So when I was on my laptop reading about it, and I was cheering you saying, <laughs> what are you all going on about? Because when you were 39, they were saying, how will you feel next year about turning 40? What on earth <laughs> yeah. is their problem? Get over it. Oh, I know. It's ridiculous. It's one of my pet hates, which is why Good. I've sort of spoken out about it a little bit. Because I'm just like, guys, like, you know, I mean, it's just so archaic to be talking about a woman in terms of age in that way. Like, as if, like, all we have to offer as women is are we still going to be sexually attractive, you know, over a certain age? It's like, well, judge me on my talent, on my career, on what I've achieved. Um, I think I look pretty. I look, I think I look pretty good for 40. So I'm quite, I'm quite happy with that. Um, and I certainly am so grateful for being happy, healthy. You know, I think it's just such a, a, a kind of an ignorant way to think of it to say always 40, you know, going to be a bad thing. It's like, no, 40 is a great thing because I'm healthy. I'm living my life. Um, I've got a career I love. I'm, I'm so fortunate. You know, I have my health and so many people, as we know, over the past 18 months, as it's, you know, been even more at the forefront, have not. And to say that, you know, there's something negative about about getting older and wiser is just ridiculous to me. So. It is extraordinary how they do for women and they don't do this for men. Uh, and I know from personal men experience. Men never get asked. They don't, never. Never. And they always say. Never, never. So at the top of everything, it will say your name and age and then the article. Age is a number and you're young and vibrant and excited, whatever age you are. If you and exciting, you know, if you're sixty as an actress, you want to be. I presume you want to be an actress when you're seventy. When you're eighty, look at Dame Maggie, who you work with. Exactly, and I do. I want to do this forever for as long as I'm able. And um, I mean, in some ways, I guess it's a positive because I think maybe people focus on my age because 
touch wood. They don't know too much about my personal life. So it's something, you know, it's something to give a headline about or whatever. So, and, you know, if that's yeah, all it's good to say, then that's fine by me. But um, but you're right, you know, men never get asked the, the same questions about age, about children, about, you know, it's, um, you know, we're, we've still got a long way to go in terms of how we... Uh, push the narrative of, of women in, in the media certainly it's changed you know times haven't changed that much in in terms of that so many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. But there we go. So do, how your your family? So you came from, uh, am I right? There was a, a small. You had a sm- your parents had a small farm. They had a shop and then a small farm. Is that right? A sheep farm. Yes, that's right. Love yes. that. Love that. So do they find all of this extraordinary? All your family? They do a little bit. I mean, obviously, um, not so much now. I think they did when I first started, um, but now, obviously, you know, I've been doing it all my yeah all my life really all my adult life certainly and a little bit before so um they're just um incredibly supportive and incredibly proud of me and um it's been fantastic to always have their support and my parents always told me you should have a go at what you want to do in life and you know give it a try the worst that happens is you fail and if you succeed then then great um so yeah I've just I've always been brought up with that mindset, which I'm really, really grateful for. And um, yeah, I've just been lucky to have that emotional support from them, I guess. When, so but at 13, as, as I said before, you went off to, to drama school. Um, you left home and you went to drama school. That That's, I mean, I'm going to say, use the word brave. And I, people say that, that, you know, people use the word brave too often. But it is quite a brave thing at 13 years old. And for your parents to know that this is, to support you in that and say this is what you really want to do what what made you do that was there something was there a teacher at school was there something you thought this is what I want to do or is it was just there and you knew it yeah it was um it's something I just I 
kind of always wanted to be an actress since I was as young as I could remember, just from watching movies and television shows. And um, when I went to secondary school when I was 11 in Whitby, we had a head teacher called David Bradley, who was very into drama. And he set up a drama group outside of school, which was connected with the theatre in the round in Scarborough. So I joined that and um, I just loved it. And I found out through that group about something called the stage newspaper, which apparently had auditions in. So I then uh, requested with my parents, the local news agent, to order me in the stage oh every month. Oh, my God. Wow. And um, obviously, yeah. And so the the auditions were sort of more for dancers and definitely much more like, you know, for, for grown ups, not for 11 year olds. But in that paper, they were adverts for stage schools. And so that's where I got the idea from. I was like, oh, my goodness, this, this is what I want to do. So I got the idea when I was 11 um, and said to my parents, I want to go to stage school. And um, they just said, really? oh, OK, fine, because they thought I'd lose it. Well, they thought I'd lose interest. So they knew I was quite <laughs> stubborn, I think. So they thought, oh, she'll never she'll never follow it through. So we, they just said, OK, well, we're not helping you with it. If, if you're interested, you, you know, do, do whatever it is you need to do to find out about it. So, um, so I did, and I wrote off to, um, numerous different stage schools and got prospectuses. And then I decided on one Red Roofs Theatre School, which is the one I ended up going to. Um, I decided that I liked the sound of, of that one the most, because it sort of had a friendlier feel about all the information. And, um, so I wrote to them and asked if I could audition and then I got an audition and then my parents were like, oh my God, she's got an audition. So my mum then had to sort of say, okay, I'll travel down to Berkshire with you and we'll do the audition, um, which I did. And then I got in, um, I got offered a place and then it was basically, you know, my parents then had to sort of sit and go, okay, well, it's not just school fees, but it's boarding fees as well because it's five hours away from where I grew up. So um, they couldn't afford to pay for both things. So then my parents did step in and, and help me uh, with contacting the council and writing letters to the council. I eventually um, ended up getting a grant from the local council to pay for the school fees um, and auditioning for them because they didn't have grants for 12 year olds because, you know, nobody really <laughs> needed them. So they sort of made a grant for me in the end. Um, so the whole process took me about two years from the first from first having the idea to actually getting to the school. I think it was about two, yeah, two, two and a half years. So I think by the time I went, my parents were like, OK, she hasn't given up on it in the last two years. So we're going to have to follow this through. Um, but I do remember my first day of school coming home and just crying down the phone to my dad, just beside myself, because I'd never experienced being homesick before. So it wasn't something that had really entered my head. And um, he said to me, he was just like, oh, it's fine. You know, you've tried it. You don't like it. We'll come and pick you up now. We'll be there in six hours. And I said, no, 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 I'll wait. I'll wait till the end of the half term. And if I still if I'm still not enjoying it, I'll come home. But I need to give it a proper a proper go. And um, and of course, within a week, I just loved it. I was in my element and um, I've st I'm still really close with all the girls that I was in a in a class with at Red Roofs and they're like my second family. So it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Wow, what a strong thing to do at 11, you know, for for two years to really fight your corner. Are you still that strong now about that? I know you've got your own production company and you're all, you're in these brilliant um, shows, but I, is that stre strength still there, that fight still there? 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's just um, definitely. I think it's just a part of my personality, and I don't. Um, if I didn't enjoy something, I wouldn't strive for it, you know. But I, as you know, you know, I feel so. I'm sure you feel the same. So incredibly fortunate to earn a living doing something that I love. So it's something that you don't really um, think about at the forefront of your mind. Really, it's just kind of something that comes from within that I do want to achieve but I want to achieve because I really enjoy my life and I love creating things and creating new characters um so yeah I guess that um that single-mindedness is still (laughs) is still there definitely so does doing something that you love as much as you do and you can hear it in your voice um when you win the awards so I'll be I write the American talk show Golden Globe winner. Um, <laughs> do those things, does it, how does it feel? So for, for some people when they win an award, it's it's the cherry on the cake. For some people it goes along with what they're doing. For somebody who's who's strong and knows what she wants and loves every moment, how what are the Emmy nominations and the Golden Globe and the Best Newcomer Award and all of those things, what are they to you? Um. I can only describe um, each experience, each one of those experiences as, as, as like a fairy tale, really. It's like a fairy tale day. You know, it's, um, I know sort of winning the Golden Globe was one of the most surreal but wonderful experiences of my life. And it was so unexpected. It was so unexpected because I didn't think I had a hope in hell of coming home with that award. And I was just so thrilled to be there. And, and you know, to have that nomination was such a huge thing for me. And um, and so I remember being sat at the table uh, on the Downton table, obviously, and my award was category was sort of second or third in the evening. So I said, oh, that's great. We can just get it out of the way and all have a lovely night together and celebrate as all being here together. Um, and then they called my name and, I remember I was I was clapping because I didn't register that it was my name <laughs> for like the first 10 seconds. And then I was like, oh, oh, my, and I just thought my mind just went completely sort of clear other than, right, I need to go to the stage. That's all I had in my head. I've got to go to the stage. I've got to go to the stage. And that's all I could think about. Um, but it was just, it was just incredible. It was, it was just such a surprise. And, and it was one of those, um, yeah, it was just one of those things. I mean, you, you'll never forget, and and just so grateful for the experience. It was, it was, it was, it was like being in a fairy tale for twenty four hours, and um, yeah, it was, it was really fantastic. So when you do shows now, that must put you in a completely different category, especially in, in America. I mean, you know, looking at all the talk shows and things that you've done in the states, it it must be just wonderful it must be wonderful that you've actually for that 11 year old girl is saying wow look look where I look at me mom you know it's that sort of moment I mean it is and you know got the second um Downton movie out and um and and I'm going to keep going back to Angela Black I mean when people see this they're going to be obsessed everybody are you ready for this again I hope so I really hope so I really hope so I'm so hoping people um take to it because I'm so proud of it and I think it's a really you know I'm really really proud of it and I can't wait for people to see it because I think it's um I know like I say I'm just I'm just so I'm really thrilled with how it's turned out and I think it's a great a great thriller and um 
our director, Craig Viveris, did an incredible job with it. Jack and Harry's writing. I'm just, yeah, I'm really proud of it as a piece of work. So I'm really excited about it, um, about it being being aired. But are you ready for that ride again? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I hope it comes. I really hope so. So absolutely. I mean, it's part, it's part of the fun of it. You want to, you know, you want to do things that, um, you want to pick good scripts, you know, and I, and I, touch wood I think I usually I usually do um because it's the stuff that I can tell usually within the first few pages of reading something like wow this is good because it's it's a page turner you know you want to know what happens next and yes, it's exactly yeah. this it's it's the same experience for the viewer if, if I'm reading the script going oh my goodness what what is this what's going to happen who is this person where is she going to get to then I know you know if as long as we carry everything out in the right way during production that 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 will come across to an audience um and it's exciting it's it's wonder it's a wonderful thing to think that you that people connect with something that you do you know it's um it's a real joy when people um you know enjoy the work and and get and get some entertainment out of it or think about a subject matter they may not have thought about before or um you know contact you on social media or yeah, it's a ride. I mean, I, you know, the the you're suddenly there again. Obviously, the Downton uh, movie, the sequel, as you say, it's March next year. When that happens again, you just know that ride is going to be a very fast, huge, enormous ride, and your, you know, your social media and your the press and everything around that. But but the is is it a, a fun ride to go on? Because it looks like you have fun even with all the the press junkets and and with all the talk shows i i get the feeling that you enjoy that um fairground ride yeah i think um i i mean i'm i'm less comfortable doing live television as myself it's always more comfortable pretending to be somebody else for me than it is um than it is being me um but i think one very early on when I sort sort of started Coronation Street, I was absolutely terrified by everything that came with the job. I loved the job. I loved the acting. I loved being on set. But the whole press and having to publicise what you do, which is part of your contract, because obviously if if nobody knows about the show, no one's going to watch it. And if nobody watches it, you're out of a job, you know. So it's it's basically as, as, as straightforward as that. And I've had to... I had to learn to how to deal with all of that. I, it wasn't something that came naturally to me when I was younger. Um, but by the time Downton came along, I'd been acting professionally for sort of 12 years. And it, I, was a, I was at an age where I was ready to sort of enjoy those moments. And I, my mindset had changed as I'd matured. And I think I was much more self-conscious, you know, as most of us are in their late teens, early 20s. It wasn't something that I felt as comfortable with. But as I was more comfortable in my own skin, I thought, wow, these are, you know, these are amazing experiences. I, I should enjoy them. It's criminal not to enjoy this because you don't know how long it's going to last. You know, you're in a hit. It's an incredible experience. You might never be in a hit again. And there's so many people in my industry that 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 would, you know, would love to be in that position. There's always somebody better off. There's always somebody worse off. And I think, you know, you just have to make the most of of what's happening and, enjoy the successes and of course there's there's other things that come along with that as well that need navigating that aren't always as as positive but um it's um I'm so fortunate to to have had the experience experiences I have and traveled and you know I enjoy I really do enjoy that do you do the the other side the the 
the side of the press that um, uh, people talk about in your private life, do you just have to grit your teeth and get on with it, do you think, these days? Because everybody knows so much about everybody with social media. I mean, I, I, you know, people can pick and choose to put what they want and it's up to the individual. But some people put their everything on social media. I just act the fool and uh, you look very beautiful and glamorous and you, and you see you having a laugh. And some people reveal everything to everybody, literally everything. Um, yes. So that navigation is can be quite tough, especially if you go through stuff in your private life. And you seem to have navigated that brilliantly. I think I always started with the same mindset, which um, was fortunate, I think, from, you know, definitely being guided by myself as a person and my agent. And like I say, working with really good actors and being quite, feeling quite protected when I started um, when I started out in my career that um, I've always taken the same stand on it, really, stance on it, that um, I don't get paid for any interviews I do. My interviews are purely to publicise my work. And, of course, people want to know a little bit of something about yourself and the big headlines of your life, which is fine, and I understand that. But I think as an actress, I don't think it's um, it's necessarily helpful for people to know all the ins and outs of my life because I want people to be able to see me in different roles. And I think yeah. if people yes. know too much about me it, it it takes away from me being able to do my job properly and I've always had the same you know the same sort of uh cutoff points that I never I've never done interviews or photographs in my home on my on holiday yes. um no yes. big life events and and there's nothing wrong with doing that it's just that as I say in my kind of in, in my side of the industry and the, the personality I am my private life is incredibly precious to me and I've always yeah. wanted to keep that and I've always thought you know if, if I keep that line of not overstepping the mark and not um you know I never I never use the press in in a way to you know publicize anything personal about myself then I hope I have a leg to stand on in terms of keeping a certain level of privacy which is hugely important to me as a person and you know on my social media is is the same I try and put things that are positive obviously I put stuff about my work and um work charities maybe something funny um but I don't um I don't put pick personal pictures up I don't put pictures I very rarely have put pictures of me in my house um and um yeah that's just my way of sort of keeping my separation and keeping myself you know well I but you can you can see that and I I applaud I really do I I truly applaud you that uh, you know it you you can't downton can never not carry on i'm just telling you just in case you were thinking well, no more well, there you can just tell everybody go and say to Hugh, all right and and all of them say gabby says you can't stop i will you have to, i will i'll let them you have to know. keep going you can't I I have to keep going can you give us a little clue about um about the sequel about the film or anything that we can that you can um, let out the bag yeah this is this is one of those non-answers to a question answers because there's not a lot <laughs> I'm allowed to say so I, I apologize for that Gabby but um I mean we sort of we start um the second movie about 18 months after uh the first movie so we're we're into the 20s um and um that's about all I can say there's um, no, there's fine. a big yeah there's another big visit to the house which causes um causes a lot of um excitement and upheaval um and uh, there's also a big trip 
abroad as well. Um, so it's going to look stunning. Um, the characters, we're just sort of picking up where we left off in terms of the relationships and where everybody is and, and how the house and the community are evolving. So I just, I just hope it's going to be a really lovely sort of warm hug for people after coming oh, out of this yes. crazy couple of years that we've had. So hopefully it'll be good timing. Uh, is it the full cast that we know and love? Yes, yes, yes. We're so all everybody's back. back. Yeah, yes. we're all back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and like I said, it's it's my Sunday night bubble bath. That's how I always think of it. And my favourite thing on the planet, after my children, of course, uh, <laughs> and, and is a, it's a bath. <laughs> and uh, it's a bath. So there we go. Uh, so I'm paying you the hugest compliment. Um, so we always ask on this podcast, what makes you truly belly laugh? What makes you lose it and weep with laughter? What would it be for you? Oh, goodness. What would it be for me? Um... A nice double entendre? A double entendre. Yeah, it had. It would have to be. That would, de- yeah, all my friends know that that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A carry-on okay. film, basically. <laughs> <laughs> if they ever do a remake, we now know who wants to, to be in a carry-on film. A carry-on film without the um, the sexism, the racism and exactly. everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A modernised version, yeah. Yeah, but they still work. Some of them still work today and make me properly love um joanne you are you really are a joy and you're just you're so lovely and to meet you in real life and to be able to chat to you properly you uh you just bring joy so thank you so much and congratulations on on the um future award-winning angela black thank you thank you gabby and thanks for having me on it's been great thank you so much for listening coming up next week from orange is the new black diane guerrero that Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thanks so much for your amazing reviews. We honestly read every single one and they mean the world to us. Thank you so much. <laughs>